If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Hebrews 1. We're going to be taking a break from uh, 2 Peter this morning. And uh, Hebrews 1 is a uh, thrilling Christmas passage. Most birthdays are much simpler than Christmas. When you're invited to a birthday party, you ask yourself if you should bring a gift. If so, what kind of gift? But further than that, you don't have to do too much. You arrive to have some cake, maybe to sing happy birthday if they're younger or happy people, and express just warm wishes. Going to birthday is pretty simple. But when Christmas comes each year on December 25th, you have a much more complex choice. What do you do with the birth of Jesus? The celebration of Jesus' birth is, is unique. See, Christmas is not pri- primarily a remembrance of, of Jesus' accomplishments on earth, kind of like George Washington's birthday or, or Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. During his life, Jesus didn't liberate any countries. He didn't crusade for social reform. He didn't produce great works of art, at least not the ones that we kind of think of. Next year will be the 500th anniversary of Beethoven's birth. There'll be many uh, performances that will highlight Beethoven. Many albums will, will, will be reissued. But for most of us, Beethoven's birthday doesn't really present you with a significant choice. This morning, we'll see that the birth of Jesus presents you with the choice. It is not what gift you're to bring. Instead, you must ask yourself this morning, what is true about this person we are celebrating? Is his body in a forgotten and lost tomb? Did he resurrect, as the Bible says? Is he God the Son become man? Is he reigning in heaven now? What does Jesus have to do with me? No one will ever ask, what are you going to do with Beethoven's 500th birthday? Unless maybe you're really into the classical music world. No one will ask, well, what are you going to do about for George Washington's birthday or Martin Luther King Jr.'s? Maybe you put on a CD. You'll read a thought-provoking essay. Maybe you'll do what is important on all holidays that celebrate birthdays, buy a mattress. But the day on which Christians celebrate Jesus' birth presents you with an essential question. Because of who God's word says Jesus is right now. So this morning, regardless of, of what previous commitments you've made, you have a choice of what to do with Jesus. The book of Hebrews was written to people who had begun to consider making an unthinkable choice. See, some of them were contemplating leaving Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews was written as a letter to warn first century persecuted Christians to not trade in Christianity, to not exchange their commitment to Christ for a more acceptable, less persecuted form of Judaism. The letter was written about 60 to 70 years after the birth of Christ. It was written to those who hadn't seen Jesus firsthand, but who had believed the gospel. 
before coming to Christ, these, the, these Christians were likely Jews who had been faithful to Judaism while living in the Greek world. When they heard about Christ, they accepted Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. They placed their hopes in his death and as their only means of salvation. They were waiting for his return. But it had been a while. And it was getting tough to be a Christian. After years of faithfulness, these, these Christians had become tempted to look backwards, to look for an easier way, a less persecuted way, a way of less trials. And the author of Hebrews wrote so that they would choose Christ. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, we'll see eight reasons to choose Christ this Christmas. We're going to see eight reasons to choose Christ this Christmas. Now, choosing Christ today may look different depending upon your, your, your familiarity with Christ. See, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, if he is not your Lord, Choosing Christ will mean coming to terms with God's revelation of himself and his son. It'll mean for you to respond to God as he requires. That's what it will mean for you to choose Christ. But if you are a Christian, choosing Christ will mean doing what the author of Hebrews was calling them to. To continue to depend on Jesus as your savior. To continue to submit to him as your Lord to continue rejecting the easier ways, and to continue in submission to him as the way, the truth, and the life. So let's look at the first of these eight reasons, and we'll try to move through them quickly because there are eight of them. The first reason why you should choose Christ is because Christ is the pinnacle of God's revelation. Christ is the pinnacle of God's revelation. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 to the beginning of verse 2, God... After he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. The first part of our Bibles, the Old Testament, records how God had previously spoken. He spoke, it says, to the fathers. And that was the, the ancestors of first century Israel. It was the recipients of nearly 1,400 years of God's speaking to Israel. He spoke through the prophets, it says. And it's not just referring to the Old Testament prophets, those, those that had that prophetic uh, mantle of like Samuel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. But it was all that God had spoken through. Abraham and the other patriarchs, Moses and Joshua, kings like David, all through whom God spoke. God had spoken in many portions and in many ways, referring to all the ways that God had revealed himself in laws given, in covenants made, in acts of judgment and acts of salvation, in floods and fire, in manna from heaven, in thunder and lightning in Sinai, in whispers that Elijah heard. It's all the ways that God had revealed himself. But, the author of Hebrews says, in these last days. And the idea there is that we have entered into the final stage of human history. The final act of human history has dawned. The curtain is open. And it is appropriate that we date human history with the birth of Christ. 2,000 and nearly 20 years ago, give or take, Jesus was born. It is the beginning of the last days. It's the time to which all the prophets pointed. 
And it says that God, after he spoke long ago in the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. And a more literal, it doesn't say in his son, although that's good English. It's just in son. Now that's bad English. But one commentator says, it's one who is by his very character and nature a son. In son, God spoke. It emphasizes the newness and the finality of God's revelation. Now God is speaking in a new way, so to speak, in a new language. Not the old way of prophets, but in the person of Jesus in son. In the person of Jesus, in the words of Jesus, in the works of Jesus, in the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of God's revelation to man. He is the, 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 the apex of revelation, the pinnacle of revelation. There will be no sequel, no episodes 7, 8, and 9. Will you choose Christ? He is the pinnacle of God's revelation. In John 1.18, it says, no one has ever seen God. And then this, 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 this is outstanding. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known, has made God known. God, the Son, has made God, the Father, known. John 14, verses 8 through 9. Philip is, says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. All we want to do is to see God. And Jesus said to him, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He is the pinnacle of God's revelation. If we reject Christ, if you reject Christ, you reject the one true God. If you fill your ears with putty so you don't listen, if you gouge out your eyes so that you don't see Jesus in Scripture, there is nowhere else to go. To know Christ is to know God. To choose Christ is to be eternally hearing, eternally seeing. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, the same God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Where do you know the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ? So will you choose Christ, the pinnacle of God's revelation? That's for you if you don't know him. Choose Christ. Christ and you will know God and if you are in Christ continue in Christ because he makes the father known the first reason is that Jesus is the pinnacle of God's revelation the second is Christ is heir to the universe Christ is heir to the universe we can go a little bit further in verse 2 into the middle it says whom he appointed heir of all things God the Father made Jesus the heir of all things, the inheritor of all things. Now, the author doesn't specify in this verse when God the Father did this. When did he make him heir? And perhaps it is Jesus's ascension to the throne in verse 3. But I think it's more likely, especially because, as we'll see, the end of verse 2 talks about Jesus being the one through whom uh, 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 
it says at the end of verse 2, through whom also he made the world, that I think that we're better to look before creation than after Jesus' ascension. So I think that the author here is referring to what God did in eternity past. Before there was time, before there was any physical matter, when all that there was for all eternity was one God in three persons. And perhaps it was in eternity that the Father appointed the Son heir of all things. In that amazing way the Trinity works that we don't understand, that the Father says to the Son, you are the heir of all things. John 3 verse 35 says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The final experience of of Christ's inheritance of everything is not seen. Hebrews 2, verse 8, in the next chapter says, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. We don't see his inheritance of all things yet. 1 Corinthians 15 has a similar idea. Verses 24 to 25, it describes how then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And referring to the future time when, when, when Jesus has in real time conquered all of his enemies and reigned in completeness, and his inheritance then is visible. His inheritance will be ultimate. His inheritance will be eternal. See, everything in creation right now belongs to Jesus Christ. The Father has apportioned everything to his Son. And the Father's not going to change his mind. There wasn't anything that happened from from eternity past to today that would make him say, you know, I'm going to go with plan B. The will to creation was written in the Son's name before time began. You may feel independent today, but all you are, all of you, your physical body, your eternal soul, the ground that we stand on, the air that we breathe, it's all Christ's inheritance. So will you submit to the one who owns everything? Will you choose Christ, heir to the universe. Christ is the heir to the universe, and the third reason why we should choose Christ, Christ is the creator of the universe. Christ is the creator of the universe. And really what what I hope each of these reasons does is expands your understanding of who Christ is and to say, I can't help but choose Christ. I can't go any other place besides Christ. I could never think about leaving Christ. And really, the author of Hebrews written to many people who would say that. But this is the warning that they needed. Hebrews 1, verse 2 at the end, says, Through whom also he, God, made the world. It's through Christ that God made the world. The Son, God the Son, was God the Father's agent in creation. He executed the Father's design, the Father's will. It was through whom. What the Father decreed, the Son created. God, the Son, made man before being born as a son of man. It says that he, described, uh, he made the world. 
And it's literally the ages. It's everything in time and space. Everything we understand about the, 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 co- the, the, the cosmos and everything we have yet to learn. Everything from subatomic particles to black holes, whatever those gravitational pools are, all of that was created through Christ. The son's role in in creation is clearly taught in scripture. John 1 verse 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. We are here because of Christ. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, both in the in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, referring to all the angelic ranks, all things have been created through him and for him. The one who is born of a virgin made the womb of Eve. The one who broke the night's silence with his first breathtaking cry created the first night and created the first breath and created the first sounds. Before that, there was nothing. So that's what you have to do with Christ. You have to choose Christ because he is the creator of the universe. And if you have chosen Christ, you must continue with Christ because he is the creator of the universe. Reason four, Christ is God revealed. Christ is God revealed. Beginning of verse 3, the author of Hebrews continues. I keep saying the author of Hebrews because we don't really know who wrote it. And he is the radiance of his glory. He, Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And this is profound language here. And, and, And for us, I think we can become comfortable with this language. For a Jew, it would just be utterly shocking for anyone who didn't already believe that Jesus was God the Son. It's profound language that he's trying to to grasp at the relationship between father and son. This is perfect language. It's perfectly chosen by God, yet it leaves us feeling like I've almost got it, kind of. The sun is the radiance. And of course, this is translated. The sun is the radiance. He's the brightness of the Father's glory. He's separate but inseparable. Separate but inseparable. The radiance of his glory. He's, he's, he is glory, but not the same as the Father. The same attributes, but different in person. Maybe you could think of the brightness of light. Without light, there's, there's, there's no brightness. Without brightness, there's no light. And yet, you can separate somehow maybe brightness from light. You can get light into its, its uh, particles. It's more complex than that, but maybe it's okay to think of that, the brightness of light and the radiance of glory. He goes on to continue, the sun is the imprint of the Father's essence or the Father's, the father's nature. And that word is, is translated as exact representation. It's the word that's used for the image on a coin. And if you were to pull out a quarter, you're like, that is not an exact representation of George Washington. Like, like wow, an imprint means exact representation. Well, we have to push further. Uh, and one commentator writes, it's the distinguishing features is really what this word's about. Whether material or spiritual, that are born by an object or person, it's what makes 
someone who he is. It's the traits by which we recognize someone as what they are. That's that exact representation word. It's why Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. I am the the, the defining features of the Father, even though in human flesh, it's still there. Shocking. God, the Son, is the godness of God revealed. And there is no godness without being deity himself. God the Son is God's attributes displayed. It is his glory manifest. Even before taking on flesh, this is what God the Son has always been. He's always been the radiance of his glory. And I just don't mean something that that, that we can see because there's nothing to see before creation. And so you can see that, that, that this is hard to exposit. You can just maybe read it. And you're like, I can't do better than that. God the Son is God seen and God heard and God known and God disclosed. So that is the purpose you were created for. You were created to be a worshiper. You were created to know God. You were created to delight in God. You were created to exalt God. So your soul will never be satisfied apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, the manifestation of who God is, You'll never be satisfied. Everything else that we have is is a shadow. It's a vapor. Christ is the soul-satisfying substance of God. Choose Christ. Will you choose Christ, God revealed? Christ is God revealed, and here's our fifth reason. He's also, and I don't like this, this word, I can't come up with a better one, carrier of the universe. And I'm like, carrier, that's not even a real word. Well, it is, because there's mail carriers, right? And they are delivering Christmas cards to you, right? Carrier is a real word. It's just a slightly awkward word. I like it, though, because a mail carrier carries something with purpose, right? He's not just out there making rounds in your neighborhood, carrying things just for the sake of carrying them. He, he wants to get rid of them. He takes them to your house. But often we might be more comfortable with, 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 with the word uh, describing Christ as the, as the s- sustainer of all things. It says in the beginning of, uh, in the middle of verse 3, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. He upholds all things. See, but uphold is more than just holding. Christ is not like, and you may have seen pictures of the Greek god Atlas pictured as carrying the world on his shoulders. Jesus, when he upholds, when he carries, he's doing more than that. The word for carrying implies carrying with direction, carrying with purpose, carrying to completion. Jesus is governing the universe to accomplish his Father's goals, it says, by the word of his power. And this is true for Christ as he's always been, as God the Son in eternity past, and God the Son as a newborn baby. And we don't understand that. He has always been carrying the universe, even his own flesh, to its intended purpose by the word of his power. 
even as that babe needed to learn how to speak, God the Son in his deity was upholding the universe by the word of his power. All things means all things. Physical, spiritual, material, or immaterial. Upholding all things puts God the Son beyond all things. He is outside of all things. The Son is preexistent. The Son is sovereign. The Son is independent. This is whose birth we are celebrating. Christ is the one who is caring even as that infant, even in the womb, all things to their intended purpose. The Father decrees and the Son makes it so. To reject Christ is to attempt to reject his caring, to, re to attempt to reject his upholding, to try to stiff harm him and somehow say, I'm going to resist you though you've been holding all things to your purpose for all eternity. It's like uh, a little minnow, a small fish trying to go up the Niagara Falls, right? I mean, that fish might be trying to swim upstream, but it's not going to work. It's, it's, it's like a particle of dust trying to escape the sun's gravitational pull. That thing is going to burn, right? It, it can't get away. We cannot escape God's intended purpose for creation. That is what Jesus has been doing always. And his pre-incarnate as God the Son is carrying the universe to an intended purpose. So choose Christ. Submit to him. Submit to him. He is the carrier of the universe to its completion. Will you choose Christ? Reason six, Christ is the purification of sinners. Hebrews 1 verse 3, and, and it's not quite at the end yet. It says, when he had made purification of sins. The author moves from the son's eternal work to Jesus's earthly work. God's path for his eternal son to become the prophesied son, and we'll talk about that in a minute, was through his purifying death. And not that he needed to purify himself. Jesus was sinless. But our sin defiles us. We are offensive in God's presence. We, we, we are not allowed there. He won't allow our disregard of his commands into his courts. And he is rightly angry with sinners who refuse to submit to him. The only way for God to have a relationship with his people is if there is purification. There has to be cleansing. There has to be forgiveness of sins. Or none of us would be allowed in his presence for all eternity. And But our sins are not cleansed by our doing religious deeds or by us doing good things. The only way for there to be cleansing for humans is for Jesus to make this purification for sins. And this is what happened when Jesus willingly died. When he willingly died in the place of sinners. 
Jesus made purification for sins by becoming the substitute that sinners needed, by paying the debt that sinners could never pay, by giving his blood in our place. This is why we must choose Christ, because if you reject Christ, there's no purification for your sins. All you have is the defilement, the filth of your sins for eternity. There is only that perpetual stain, and it makes you unfit for God's presence, and it marks you for God's judgment. Reject Christ, and you will spend eternity in hell paying a debt that you can never pay. But if you choose Christ, if you run to Christ, if you put your hope in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, you can be forgiven. So choose Christ, the purification of sinners. This is what we have to do with Christmas. Reason seven, to choose Christ. Christ is the ruler of the universe. At the end of verse three, it says what Jesus did after he had made purification of sins, when he died on the cross, when he rose again, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's describing a real scene right now. God the Son, Jesus Christ, has a resurrected body. He is in time and space, and he is sitting down right now in a way that I can't even imagine at the right hand of the majesty and high of God the Father. And this is one of the most often quoted ideas in the New Testament, the completion that Jesus has made as he sits down in God's hand. There's, there's many verses, and here's one. Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, for those who put their hope in him. He is at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 22. I'll just quote a couple portions. He raised him, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So this sitting at the right hand of the majesty and high depicts Christ being exalted, but it also demonstrates his, his submission. His exaltation, but his submission. At the right hand was the place of honor and privilege and authority and power, but it was also at the right hand of the Father. So it shows that Jesus is God the Son forever. He never says, Father, it's time for you to come off the throne and let me take my place. He is forever submitted to the Father's will in that brilliant perfection of the Trinity. The sitting, the fact that he's sitting emphasizes that the work is finished. The sacrificial work is done. There is no more need for atonement. There's no more need for cleansing for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is sitting at the Father's right hand. Christ is forever both sovereign and submitted. He has all authority. In Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus, and we have to be careful, our kids know this, is no babe lying in a manger. He is king sitting on his throne. He is not in a tomb. We are not celebrating someone who died a long time ago. This is not like George Washington's birthday or Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday or Beethoven's birthday. We know where Christ is. He is reigning. There is nothing cute about King Jesus. 
So so how do you respond to to this fact that Christ is the ruler of the universe? Are you going to try to sidestep Christ, try to get out from under his rule for as long as possible? Are you going to try to ignore his reign? Are you going to try to reject his lordship? Or will you bow your knee in loving adoration of the one who is the ruler of the universe? This is what we as creatures were created for. Will you choose Christ, the ruler of the universe? The last reason to choose Christ is that Christ is not only the eternal son, he's also the prophesied son. He's the prophesied son. We see this in verse 4. Well, I'll catch up at the end of verse 3. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And in ways, verse 4 parallels Verse 1. Verse 1 is Jesus being the pinnacle of God's, of, of, of God's revelation. That's really some of the same idea of verse 4. The angels were mediators of, of God's revelation of himself. And so when he says that Jesus is far better superior, it's really about the revelation of Christ being superior to what has come, has come before. So don't go back is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Verse 4 is, a, a, is the author of Hebrews exploring what it means that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. It expands upon the heavenly coronation that has taken place. It says that he has having become. Now that, that's not the author of Hebrews saying that Jesus' nature changed when Jesus sat down. That now that he sat down, he's become greater than, than the angels. He, he went from, from human to something superhuman or, or, or from human to deity. No, it says that Jesus' superiority over the superiority of the angels has become obvious. For a while, it, it wasn't as clear. And we see that Jesus was a man. People didn't recognize who he was. Hebrews 2 verse 9. We do see him who is made for a little while lower than the angels. He looked just like a man. So when it says he's having become, it's not that his nature changed, but it has become clear. When he made uh, uh, having become as much better than the angels, and he makes a, 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 a comparison here. How much greater is Jesus? as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. He is as much better as the name he's inherited is better than their name. And we can see, if you're wondering, well, what name is this? What name is this that Jesus has inherited? We just have to read into verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that's the name, the name that Jesus receives as coronation is son. Well, you might be wondering, well, wasn't he always God the Son? Hasn't he eternally been in the Father-Son son relationship with God the Father? We'll get to that. But first, let's see how he's better. God never enthroned an angel at his right hand, right? God says, I will not give my glory to another. He shares his throne with no one who's not God. He never called an angel son. Angels stand, and we sing about this in God's presence. They stand with their eyes covered. 
They can't, they can't handle God's holiness, but his son sits there. See, when Jesus sat at the Father's right hand, the Father gave his eternal son, God become man, Jesus Christ, the title son as promised in Psalm 2. And that's where the author of Hebrews is quoting. Psalm 2 prophesies, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, so God is saying to this future descendant of David, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. It doesn't mean like, hey, I just had you, baby son. He's, he's, saying, he's saying, I am giving you this throne. I am king and now you are my son. This is not a change in Jesus' nature. Just as, this is him, God of the universe, the king, giving Jesus a royal title. You are son. You are king. You are, and then Psalm 2 continues. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. And the very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter, you shall shatter them like earthenware. You, son, I give you all this. This is your inheritance. I promised it in eternity past, and now in, in, in time that you have resurrected in this human form, I call you, son, sit at my right hand. The author of Hebrews is, is showing how superior Jesus was to the angels because they were tempted to go back to a form of Judaism. They were tempted to go back to Old Testament law, mediated through messengers, through angels. They were tempted to ignore this revelation of Jesus, to ignore the fact that Jesus is sitting at God's right hand. They were tempted to try to forget him, to, to bypass him, to go around him. We are not telling stories this morning. This is true. We have had heavens open. We have seen the throne room. That is what is going on right now. This is why you must choose Christ. Every bit of human soil, every bit of this earth, every nation will submit on this earth to Christ. All opposition to him will be shattered. Christ is returning. We believe this. So will you choose Christ, this prophesied son of David who sits at God's right hand? Will you choose Christ this morning? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to speak now to those who know Christ, who have believed in Christ, for whom Christ is their only hope, for whom Christ is their Lord, their King. Choosing Christ for you this morning, responding to the birth of Christ, means to continue in Christ. To continue in Christ. And you should not be saying at this point, well, no duh. Right? Hebrews was written because it is tempting to leave him. To find an easier way. We all know people who have. Hebrews 2, verse 1 says, For this reason, because of all the greatness of Christ I've been talking about, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Listen up so that we do not drift away from it. That is the purpose of Christmas in a sense. Choose Christ. Continue in Christ. 
Yes, we're going to reflect about his, about his humility and his humanity and his suffering. But continue in Christ. Continue in your dependence upon him as the one who has made purification for your sins. Don't place your hope in anything else. Continue in your submission to him as the one who is the Lord today at God's right hand. He is the ruler of your life. Continue in your trust of him who will carry out his plan for your life in accordance to his sovereign purpose. Trust him. Hebrews 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, you saints... Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And this is what we've been doing this morning. And by God's grace, this is refreshing to your heart. It's, it's what we're called to do. We're called to consider Jesus. And by God's grace, this is what you'll be doing in the upcoming week as, as you think about the birth of Christ, but as you go over these verses and maybe go over these verses with your kids. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus as the pinnacle of God's revelation. Got a list of them all here somewhere, but you know what it is. Consider Jesus as the heir of the universe, as the creator of the universe, as God revealed, as the carrier of the universe, as the purification of sinners, as the ruler of the universe, as the prophesied son. Consider him, consider him, consider him. Don't leave Jesus Christ. Perhaps there are some of you here this morning that are still on the fence and you're still undecided about Christ. Maybe you've heard of Jesus often. Maybe you know that you will one day have to give an account to him. This sounds true to you, but you have yet to really deal with Christ. Don't put your fingers in your ears today. Don't ignore the pinnacle of God's revelation. Don't try to steal for yourself today and the next day and the next day, because these days belong to him and he will demand an account. Jesus' reign is universal. Jesus' reign is eternal. You know what the scene in heaven is. And so if you feel, I'm in trouble, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus died to make purification for sins. You can be forgiven this day. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is reigning in heaven, but he is also interceding for all who come to him through faith, submitting to him, saying, I need Jesus, and he's interceding for them. So choose Christ this morning. Come to him for cleansing. Submit to him as king. Listen to him as God's revelation and spend eternity in soul-satisfying service. There is no better way than Jesus Christ. And maybe you're like, well, I'm not really either of those. You know, this is, this is kind of new to me. This has been startling. I'm sitting here and people really believe this. You may be interested but not yet convinced. Or maybe you're confused. If you're not ready to choose Christ, I'm going to beg you, let me know if you don't have a Bible. But if you have a Bible, and there's tons you can find online, pick up your Bible 
and start reading the Gospel of John. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 is a great intro to what you'll be reading in the beginning of John. It is breathtaking. It is, it is brilliant. It will leave you with lots of questions. But start reading and ask God. Say, God, please make clear to me who your son is. Please make clear to me who Jesus Christ is. Please help me be willing to respond the way that you require me to. I'm not yet. Be honest with him. Tell him if you're not yet willing to respond. But begin by praying saying, God, help me to be willing. Open my ears, give me eyes to see. And read the gospel of John. And, and, and let me know, or the people who brought you here this morning, if you have questions, we'll sit down and read it, read it together. This morning, we are celebrating the most unique birth in human history. Not only did a virgin give birth, not only did God the Son become God the man, not only did Jesus come to be Savior to save people from their sins, but the resurrected Jesus Christ, the exalted eternal Son, the prophesied Son, He is alive today. He is reigning in heaven this is far more of like celebrating a, the birth at a birthday party than it is remembering someone long dead. Listen to the first sermon. I'm going to close after this. After Christ ascended. This is the very first sermon. You know, this is the building of sermons since then. Listen to the first sermon, how it ends. Peter's talking uh, to, 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 to people in, in, in the city of of, of Jerusalem, excuse me, just a few weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And Peter says, This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we're all witnesses. They saw him. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. He's talking about the miracles that was happening, but also the preaching. That is what is happening still today by God's Spirit. And then he says, For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself said, but David says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. We read this from Psalm 2. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I don't know, it's from Psalm 110. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And that is what we say. God has made this Jesus Lord and Christ. He is in heaven now. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What should you do? Choose Christ. Peter responded, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And that is what we are doing here this morning. God is still calling people to himself. The promise is for all of those who far, are far off. He's telling them, choose Christ. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Turn to him and be saved. This is how we celebrate Christmas, friends. We choose Christ. We believe in Christ, we submit to Christ, we continue with Christ, we serve Christ, the eternal King. Let's pray. Now, Father, these uh, verses 
are profound, and I know that you use a human to write them, uh, but it is clear that no human could imagine uh, the mysteries here, that no one could, could say this with such, with such clarity and with boldness apart from uh, your spirit uh, breathing out these words through this human messenger. Father, we are, we are humbled by these profound words. We are humbled by the exaltation of your Son. We are humbled where our minds are stretched to think of Christ as, as ruler and heir, as an eternal Son, as, as creator, as the one who makes you known as the prophesied Son of David. Jesus is all those things, and it is his birth in human time that we celebrate. But he is so much more than a babe in a manger. Father, we thank you for your most amazing plan of salvation, uh, your plan in eternity past, your plan uh, to, uh, to make Jesus the heir of all things and then to sit him on that throne. And we are waiting for the fullness of that to be seen in human time. We know it's going to happen. We know that heaven is going to be filled with willing and happy and satisfied and people who love worshiping your son. And so, Father, we thank you for those who are here this morning. And it is only all of your grace that we believe and have put our hope in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you keep us believing, that you guard us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed for the last time, that you protect us from the deceitful hardening of sin, that we would not be like those who died in the wilderness those 40 years before seeing the promised land, but we would continue in faith. I pray, Father, for those who are here this morning, and, 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 and we think about this, this, this message we need to share with our kids, many of whom don't know you yet, Lord. And we pray that you would, you would give them faith in your son, that you would exalt him through our proclamation and all of his glory. We don't know why you use words, uh, but you do. It's humbling. Father, but you also use our transformed lives. And so, Father, help us to be bearing evidence in our lives to who this Christ is. And that's what we've been learning about in 2 Peter. We have these great and precious promises that, we've, that we have become partakers in Christ's divine nature, not becoming gods, but becoming like you and uh, loving what you love and hating what you hate. Father, help us to become increasingly uh, truthful to this testimony of who Christ is and help us, Lord, to go forth in this upcoming week and, and in family dinners and, and, and as we talk to people about Christmas to, to, to use this as an entry point of whose birth we are celebrating. And Father, may, may minds be blown with the glory of Christ, that you would be worshiped for eternity, that all of those who you call would put their faith in your son, they would repent, that they would be baptized, that they would have their sins forgiven. Father, you are doing an amazing work. We are thankful to be part of it. We don't deserve this. It is a privilege. We don't deserve salvation, but you have been gracious to grant it. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to do so even this morning for those who don't know you. Uh, please, Father, may you be pleased uh, with the rest of our days as we seek to serve your son. In Jesus' name, amen.